Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Well, good morning. You guys are ready for another action-packed, faith-filled, life-changing message from the book of Joshua. Are you guys excited? Y'all fired up? You ready? Let's go. Oh, well, I'm going to need you to lower your expectations because today is going to be pretty rough. If you have your Bibles, turn me to Joshua chapter 7 for a sermon called How to Ruin Your Life. Today, we're going to talk about how people ruin their lives. And you know what? As a pastor, here's what I've discovered is that nobody ever intends on ruining their life, right? Nobody ever just wakes up one morning and says, you know, today is the day I think I'm going to set everything on fire. Today is the day that I'm going to make a mess out of everything. It's the day that I just think that I'm going to leave my wife, beat my kids, get an addiction. I think, I think today is the day I start smoking crack. You know, nobody ever just like wakes up one day and decides that they're going to ruin their life. But yet, that's exactly what many people do. And here's what I want to challenge you with. Here's what I want you to think about. And this is going to be the thought that's going to guide our sermon today. And it's this right here, is that we make our choices but our choices make us. We think we make our choices. And in that one sense, yes, we do. But it's the choices that we make that make us the people that we are. What is life but the choices that we make? I mean, every single morning, every single one of us, we have choices that we make. Some choices are big, some choices are small. But nevertheless, every choice we make is what gives us the life that we have. I mean, you have to make a decision whether you're going to wake up on time or you're going to hit your snooze button five more times and be late for work. I mean, that's a, that's a choice. And then whenever you do go to work, you have to decide, am I going to do a good job, work hard, or am I going to tell my boss where he can stick it? That's also a, a choice. You have, you have a choice. Am I going to drink coffee at home or am I going to spend $10 on Starbucks every morning on my way to the work, to the job that I don't like that I have and then complain later about why I don't have any more money? No, you do. You just spent it all because you made bad choices. When you come home from work, you have a choice. Am I going to sit on the couch and ignore my wife and family or am I going to have dinner with my family, do highs and lows with my kids? What was the best part of your day? What was the challenging part of your day? Tuck them in and read them the Jesus Storybook Bible. All of those things, those are choices that you make. And here's what you need to know, is that the choices that we make make us the people that we are. We think we make our choices, but in reality, it's our choices that make us. At the beginning of this sermon series, I shared with you this quote. It says, we are born looking like our parents, but we die looking like our choices. This is the same thing that the Bible repeats all throughout Scripture. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15. This is a setup for the book of Joshua. It's the very end of Moses' life. God comes and speaks to them at a transference of leadership as Israel is moving from the, from the desert land to the promised land, wandering from the wilderness, and then they're about to accept and enter into their inheritance. This is what God says to them. I have set before you today. So what is that? That is a choice. That is a decision. I have set before you today, what? Life and death, blessings and curses. Therefore, what does he want? He wants for you to choose life. 
The same thing that's true for us practically is also true for us spiritually. Practically, you have choices that you need to make, but also spiritually, we all have choices to make, choices to read our Bibles, choices to pray, choices for, to go to church Sunday mornings. You made a great choice by being here today. We all have these choices that we make, and it's a choice, the Bible says, between blessings and curses. It's a choice between good and evil. It's a choice between light and darkness. It's a choice between God and not God. It's a choice to be generous. It's also a choice to be greedy. It's a choice to serve others. It's also a choice for us to be selfish. It's a choice between blessings and curses. And right here's what we see. God says it's really a choice between life or death. And what does God desire? That we would choose life. That's my heart for you. That's my hope and my goal for this sermon is that every single one of us, with the choices that we make, we would choose life. But unfortunately, not everybody chooses life. Some people, they choose they choose death. And that's exactly what we're going to see today in Joshua chapter 7 as we meet a man named Achan. Now, the theme of this series is living for a legacy. And what I've been telling you is this, is that inside of every single one of you, there is a legacy. A legacy is something that you receive from the generations previously. And it's something that you leave to the generation that follows you. And every single one of us, we have a legacy. And my, my prayer is that it's a good legacy. It's a godly legacy. It's a legacy of life change through Jesus that lasts for generations that come after you. But not everybody leaves a good godly legacy. Some people leave a legacy of death, destruction, and pain that follow them. And that choice is for you to make. What kind of legacy are you going to leave? God, the Holy Spirit, through the author of the book of Joshua, he, he wanted Achan's story in here. Achan made a terrible decision and because of that, his legacy was one of devastation for generations to come. And God the Spirit, he, he wanted us to study this. Because before us, every single one, we must make a choice. Life or death. And so Achan actually serves as a negative example. It's a cautionary tale. It's a warning for us of what happens when we don't choose life. Because if you don't choose life, guess what happens? You ruin your life. Achan ruins his life. And so what I want to do today is I want to give you four points, three ways to ruin your life, one way to change your life. Four ways, three will ruin it, one will change it. And here's where Joshua starts off. It starts off actually going back into Joshua chapter 6, and here's what it is. It's ignoring the principle of tithing. I know many of you wouldn't think that that's where we would start today. But that's exactly where the Bible starts, and so we're going to start where God starts, and God starts with this idea is that if you want to ruin your life, here's one surefire way to do it, is to ignore the principle of tithing. Here's what it says. Let's look back at Joshua 6, 16, and the seventh time when the priests had been blowing the trumpet. So here's the story. This is Jericho. We looked at it last week. Walls fall down. You lift up a shout of praise. Hallelujah, Jesus. And guess what happens? The walls fall down in your life because your praise ushers in God's presence. And when God's presence shows up, that's what happens. Walls fall down. And so he says, march around the city and then blow the trumpets. Joshua said to the people, very important, circle it, underline it, highlight it. Shout, for the Lord has what? Given you this city. So it's God who brings the victory. It's God who wins the war. And it's God who gives them the city. And the city and all of its inhabitants shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. That word devoted, it means holy. It means sacred. It means set apart. 
It's different than all the other battles and victories you're going to have. It is to be devoted to who? To the Lord. Not to Joshua. Not to the Israelites. Not to Achan. But to who? To the Lord. It belongs to God. He brings the victory, and then the victory belongs to him. And the city and all that's within it shall be devoted to the Lord, set apart for destruction. Only Rahab, we met her in chapter 2, the prostitute, the shady lady of Jericho, and all who are with her house, they shall live. Because she hid the messengers from whom he sent. But you keep yourselves from the devoted things, set to destruction, lest... When you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction, and you will bring trouble, uh uh-oh, trouble upon it. But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron, they are holy to the Lord. They shall be brought into the treasury of God. So God wants you to bring those things into the house of the Lord. So that people shouted, the trumpets were blown, and as soon as the people heard the shout of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the walls fell down flat. This story picks up right where last week left off. It's the, it's the walls of Jericho. And what I told you last week is that Jericho was a garrison city. It was a stronghold. It was the first line in defense for the seven nation armies that inhabited the promised land. And whenever Joshua leads his people, God gives them divine insight on how to secure the victory. They march around the city six times, and on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times, blew the trumpet, and everything fell. Up until that point, Jericho was considered undefeated. I told you that the walls were 80 feet high. That's about as tall as some of the buildings here in downtown. And there's actually two walls. So if you got past the first one, you had to get through the next one. It was impenetrable. It was impregnable. Nobody ever defeated Jericho. It was the best and it was the first of all of the cities of Canaan land. And then what we see is what is impossible with man is what? It is possible with God. They lifted up the shout. They blew the trumpets. They sang God's praises and the walls fell down flat. And here's what I want you to notice, is that God says, I will give you the victory, but the first battle is mine. I need you to give something back to me. I want Jericho for myself. And here's what we find in this. It's, it's, it's the principle of tithing or the law of first things. It, it says that God's, I'm going to give you everything. Everything that's in Canaan land, it's yours. Seven nations greater than themselves. Land so flush and so, so fruitful that there's grapes the size of your head flowing with milk and honey. You're going to defeat giants. You're going to see miracles. You're going to take the promised land and you're going to have a legacy behind you. And everything in this land, it's yours. I give it to you. But first, I want Jericho set apart, holy and devoted unto me. What is this? This is the, the principle of, of tithing, and it's, it's found all throughout the scriptures. And there's something that we, we need to teach and we, we need to understand. To be honest, for the first several years of our church, I never taught tithing. I just thought maybe people will get it for, on their own. And then three years of struggle and being broke as a church, I realized people aren't getting it. And so what I need to do is I need to begin teaching it. And so for the last couple of years, I've actually been teaching the, the principle of what is tithing. And I have heard dozens and dozens of stories of people who have taken that first step of obedience when it comes to tithing and how God has just continually blessed them in their life. I mean, I was talking to one guy just a few weeks ago out in the lobby, and he, he took our 90-day tithe challenge as a church during our Blessed Life sermon series. And as he began tithing, he put in an offer to get a promotion at work, and he didn't get it. 
And he was like, oh, I didn't know what to do. So maybe I was thinking tithing didn't work. But instead what happened is he got moved sideways in his organization and he started working a different department for the same amount of pay, but then they eliminated the position that he applied for and he got a promotion over this side as well. This is what happens when we tithe. When we give to God first, then everything else that we have in our life is, is blessed. This is what God's trying to show, show Joshua and the rest of Israel is that the first belongs to me and then everything else is yours. This is what tithing is. Now, some of you might be wondering right now, what is tithing? Okay, here's what tithe literally means. It means a tenth. 10% of your income, first and best, is given back unto the Lord. Tithing means tenth. Some people have been wondering, does that mean that I can give $20 on a Sunday? Unless you make, you know, $200 a week? No, you can't because that's not a tithe. That's a tip. And we tip our servers, but we don't tip our Lord and Savior. There's, there's a difference. Right? We, 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 we return the tithe back to the Lord. We tip generously 25% at this church, amen? And if you don't tip well at your restaurant, don't leave an invite card. But, I mean, we tip really well. But when it comes to tithing, it's actually not a tip. It's something that we bring back and we give back first fruits, first and best, set apart, devoted, and given back to God. Here's how me and Ashley, we say it like this. Before it goes out, it goes up. Right, so let's say, let's say I get paid $500 just to make math easy. Let's say on Thursdays I get paid $500. So, so what does that mean? That means whenever I get my paycheck, before I get gas, before I buy groceries, before I take Ashley on a date, before I buy any more chicken nuggets for my kids, here's what I do, right? I, I pull out my phone, I go to redemptiontx.com, I click that blue button, and then I look at my check, deposit it, and then I give $50 to the church because that's what my tithe is. It's the first and it's the best of the income, just like Jericho was the first and it was the best of the inheritance that they were going to receive. This is the principle of, of tithing. But I know some of you, you're not yet convinced. You're like, Pastor Byron, I need some more Bible verses because it seems to me like you're stretching here with, uh, with this Joshua 6. So let me just go ahead and read you some more verses. Exodus 34, 19. All that open the womb, they are mine. All of your male livestock, the firstborn, there's the principle of the first, there's the tithe, the firstborn of the cow and the sheep, there are mine. Again, in verse 26, the best of the first fruits, not the leftover fruits, not the rotten fruits at the back of the fridge, it's the first fruits. Who are they? Fruits of the ground you shall bring where? Into the house of the Lord. Where does the treasure of Jericho go? Into the treasury of the Lord. Leviticus 27:30. Every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is is holy unto the Lord. What is that? Sacred, set apart. It is a devoted thing. It is holy to the Lord. And then Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, it is the Lord. It is holy unto the Lord. Prince uh, King Solomon, the wisest, most rich, successful man who has ever lived in the history of the world in the book of Proverbs, which we studied last year, here's what he says. When I step back and I survey the people, here's what I've discovered, is that people who bless God, they're more blessed than others. People who give to God, they receive more from God in their lives. And this is the principle of what tithing is. And then some of you might be thinking right now, okay, but Byron, that's Old Testament, that's Old Covenant, we're no longer under the law. Well, just remember that the tithe actually started before the law. The first tithe was with Cain and Abel. Abel brought the best fruits, the first fruits. Cain brought the leftovers. And whose did God receive? God received the first fruits because it's the principle of tithing. But it's found all throughout Scripture as well. And even in the New Testament, you're wondering, does Jesus say anything about tithing? Here's what Jesus says. But woe to you Pharisees, 
For you tithe mint and dill and rue and every herb, and you neglect justice and the love of God. And then here's what he says. People miss this all the time. These you ought to have done. Does that mean he said, don't tithe? No, he says, no, you should tithe. These you ought to have done, but not neglected the weightier matters of the law. He is not negating tithing, but what he is saying is when you tithe, you're able to do justice and mercy, and you'll be able to serve others as well. See, for my life, I don't worry about tithing because I, I, I know that I'm going to do it. I said it. I automated it. Every, every Thursday, my tithe comes out. I don't worry about tithing. I'm not sitting there on Monday going, oh, no, how's my tithe doing? You know? Here's what I worry about throughout the week. I worry about people. I worry about loving people. I worry about justice and mercy. That's what is on my mind because I don't have to worry about tithing. Therefore, I have time to invest in other areas of my life. This is what Jesus is saying. And then the principle of the tithe is found continuously in Luke 6, 38. What it says is this, give and it will be given unto you. It doesn't say God will give and then you give back. No, it says that, is that if you give, then God will give unto you. That if Joshua gives Jericho to God, then the rest of all of the promised land will be given back unto him. Give and it will be given unto you. But God doesn't give the way that we give. Here's how God gives. God gives good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and it will be put in your lap. Why? For with the measure you use, it will be measured back unto you. It's crazy how this works, that if we trust God with 10% of our finances, the first fruits, then here's what God does. God blesses us more with 90% with him than we could ever do on 100% without him. Give and it will be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over with good measure for the measure that you use will be measured unto you. This is what is called the the principle of, of tithing and it opens the door for God's favor and God's hand and God's blessing over your life. So let me just give you three, three, three reasons why we teach tithing here at the church and, and how we are to do it. The first thing is this, is that we give to God first because he deserves our best. Just think about what God has given to you, how God has taken care of you. Everything in this world is actually a gift that comes from God. It's what James says. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. So it's a a gift that comes from God. So the creation, the the plants, the animals, the stars, the trees, the galaxies, whenever it's this beautiful time change season and you go outside or early in the morning and you see shooting stars, that's that's a gift. Do you like the planet that we live in? Okay, that's a gift that God gives. Do you like the breath that is in your lungs? Do you like the blood that is in your veins? Do you like the, do you you like the, those are all gifts. That, that graciously come from God. Your spouse is a gift. Your kids are a gift. Your job is a gift. Your income is a gift. Everything you have is a gift. And some of you say, but I earned this. I worked for this. I worked hard for this. I got that job. Well, who's the one who gave you the brain to do that job? It was God. Who gave you the strength to be able to sustain that job? It was God. Who gave you all of the things that we have? It all comes from God because God is the best giver. Here's what we do. We give our best back to him. So we give to God first. Why? Because God deserves the best in our life. We don't give God our leftovers. We don't give God our second best, our third best. Because whenever God sent his son Jesus, he didn't send some gimp angel from the back corners of heaven. No, he sent his son Jesus, the, 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 the firstborn of all of creation. What does he send? His only begotten son, his perfect son. So who is that? Jesus is God's tithe to us. He gave us his best. And so he deserves nothing more than the best from us. The second thing we see is this, is that what we do with the first determines what happens with the rest. You know, here's why I've discovered is that people who tithe tend to make better money decisions. Do you know why? Because they don't have money to be foolish because they recognize everything they have comes from God. And God is the owner and we're the managers. They take a steward mentality. 
They're, they're stewards of God's money, of God's resources, because they realize that it all belongs to him, and one day, it's all going to go back to him. You know how I know that? Because you're born with nothing, and you die with nothing. Right, like the saying goes, like you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. Okay, what happens with all of your possessions when you die? Somebody else gets them. You can't take them with you, and so you need to be wise when it comes to how you steward God's finances, God's possessions, God's belongings while you're here on earth because you can't take them with you. But here's what you can do. You can send it on ahead, storing up treasures in heaven when you learn to tithe. And then the third thing is this, is when we give God our best, the rest is blessed. Because here's the thing is God can't bless what you don't give to him. But in God's hands, there is favor. In God's hands, there is blessings. In God's hands, there is righteousness forevermore. And God can't bless what you don't give to him. If it's in your hands, it ain't blessed. But if you live your life giving generously back to the Lord, then guess what happens? God's going to say, there's a person that trusts me. There's a person who honors me. There's a person who, who, who blesses me. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless them back in return. Because what you do with it, when you give to God your best, here's what God does. God says, oh, the rest is blessed in their life. This is why tithing is so incredibly important for us. And so with this as a backdrop, this is Joshua 6. With this as a backdrop, we now begin to understand how Joshua 7 is going to play out. Because one way to bless your life is to learn the principle of the tithe. But one way to ruin your life is to ignore the principle of putting God first in your life. And so here's what happens. God says, I will give you everything, but the first belongs to me. So what do you think Israel does? They do the opposite of what God tells them to do. They do the opposite. So here's how it starts off. It, it says this. It says this, but. Now, you know, when a chapter of the Bible opens up with the word but, it's never good, all right? So, so here's, here's how it works. It says, but the people of Israel broke faith. In regard to the devoted things, and Achan, the son of Carney, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And what happens? The anger of the Lord burns against the people of Israel. So if the principle of the tithe is a sure way to have God's blessings on your life, then ignoring the principle of the tithe is a sure way to ruin your life. Watch how this works. So the story transitions from victory, and all of a sudden Israel is going to experience this great defeat. Joshua chapter 7, verse 2. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. So they're entering into another battle, fresh off the wind of Jericho. They think, we got this. Let's go near Beth Avon, east of Bethel. And they said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men who went up and they spied out the small city of Ai. And they returned to Joshua. And here's what they said. Do not have all the people go up. Let about two or 3,000 of the men go up and attack Ai. Because it's a small, it's a shoe-in. It's a, shoe it's, a, it's a sure victory. It's a slam dunk. So go about 3,000 men, they went up before the people, and what happened? They fled before the men of Ai. They're suffering a defeat. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Sherebim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people, they melted and became like water. Joshua 1, be strong and courageous. All of a sudden, now their hearts are melted away like water and they are fearful and they are afraid. Then Joshua tore his clothes. He fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. And he said to the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land, they will hear of this and every Everybody's going to laugh and make fun of us. They're going to surround us, cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? God, what are you doing? And the Lord said, Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? 
Israel has sinned. They have transgressed in my covenant. I have commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and they have lied and they have put it amongst their own possessions. Now, last week, what I taught you and what I continually teach you, because we do expositional preaching here, which teaches you not only the Bible, but also how to read the Bible for yourself. What I taught you is the key to interpreting a text is what? To look for repeated words or phrases. That opens up your eyes to say, oh, that must be what the text is about. And so the sin of Achan is about two things. It's about sacred things and stealing. It's about things that are devoted and things that are taken. What's the word that repeats? Holy, set apart, sacred, devoted, took, taken, and stolen. Which means to ignore the principle of the tithe is to steal what belongs to God. I don't have any other nice way to say it. I mean, I wish I could, I wish I could do enough theological gymnastics to be able to make, you, to, to, to make it sound something different than what it obviously is. But I mean, the Bible's just straightforward. To take what belongs to God is stealing. And so to not tithe is to rob God. Now, some of you might be thinking, Byron, that sounds really harsh. Do you have any other Bible verses that you could use to be able to support that? I love you theologians in here. I actually do have another Bible verse. Here's, here's this Bible verse right here. Probably the most famous of the verses, Malachi chapters 8 through 10. Will man rob God? We say, well, how have I robbed God? In your tithes and your offerings. To take what is sacred and set apart is to what? Is to steal from the Lord. Okay, if somebody took what belongs to you, what do you call that? Stealing. <laughs> Stealing. But here, here's what happens, right? right? So, so if we do the same thing to the Lord, it, it, it's, it, it's stealing. Jericho belonged to God. And all the possessions belonged to the Lord. And, and what happened? They took the devoted things, which means they stole the devoted things. But remember, here's the deal, is that God always gives us a choice. Right? Blessings, curses, life, death, everything is a choice. And so God actually gives us a choice. So he doesn't just say, you've stolen from me. He says, he says here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to learn. So he says this. He says, he says, you're tithes to contributions. You're cursed with the curse. You're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Therefore, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you the blessings until there is no more need. God says, put me to the test. Go ahead. If you don't believe me, just, just try me. Because what? God wants good for you. Right? God wants for you to understand this. God wants for you to, to get this. God wants for you to test him in this area. Why? Because God tests us so we can learn to trust him. God tests us. The tithe is a test. Giving to God first is a test. Here's the reason why. Because if you can pass this test, then you will be able to pass the trust test. You'll be able to trust him in other areas of your life. I mean, how can you trust God with your soul if you can't trust him with your money? Right? How can you trust God with your eternal security if you can't trust him with your savings account? How can you trust God with your kids if you can't trust him with your possessions? How can you trust God with your, with your spouse, with your marriage, if you can't trust him in these other areas of your life? Because it's trusting God. Yeah. 
And here's what God does. Whenever he sees someone step out in faith and obedience and begin to tithe, God says, ah, there's a person who trusts me. Therefore, there's a person I will trust as well. But to not trust God is to welcome defeat into your life. And that's exactly what we see in Joshua. What happens? They don't trust God, therefore they're defeated. There are some people who are experiencing defeat in certain areas of your life because you're not trusting God with all of your life. Now, I'm not saying that when you tithe, everything's going to be easy and you're not going to have problems. But what I am saying is there's some problems that you may not have because God goes before you. Because God makes a way for you. Because it's God who brings the victory in your life. He says, I want to open up heaven over your life. But here, God cannot open heaven if your hands are clenched. God wants to open heaven, but he can't pour out his blessings if your hand is closed. And so if you want to live under open heaven, here's what you got. You got to live with an open hand. Say, God, everything I have is yours. And then here's what God's going to do. He's going to bless what you have, because what we do with the first determines what happens to the rest. And when we give to God first, everything else in our life is blessed. Right? It, it, the tithe is about trusting. God knows that if Joshua can't trust him with the first, then he's not going to be able to trust him with the rest. And so before they move further in their journey through the promised land, here's what God has to do. He has to get their heart right in this area first. Because if he can trust them, and guess what? They're going to receive everything else that comes from God. So, here, so here's, here's what we do. I don't want to ever just preach a sermon over tithing and then not give you a resource to go along with it. And so I'm going to issue the 90-day tithe challenge today. For those of us in the room who are not tithing, um, here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you to tithe. Now, I can't make you do it, um, but I, I can inspire you. I, I can want you to, uh, but I can't make you do it because it's actually a choice. It's a choice to, to trust God. But I want to help you in that. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to issue a 90-day tithe challenge. So I'm going to give you this free book right here. It's called The Blessed Life by Robert Morris. Uh, come visit me at the Connect Desk after service. I'll, I'll be at the Connect Desk. This is yours, but here's what you got to do. Take one of these Connect cards, and in the memo section right here, write the word tithe. So you're going to take the 90-day tithe challenge. And here's what I'll guarantee you, that if you read this book, and if in 90 days... You haven't experienced victory in your life, I'll give you the full money back. That's how much I believe in it. So if you set up tithing 10%, read this book, at the end of the 90 days, if you can say honestly that I'm not closer to God, I haven't experienced victory in my life, and I'm not blessed by the Lord, I will 100% return the money back to you. That's how much I believe it, because God says, put me to the test. And so as a church, we're just going to trust God's word and put him to the test. So fill out this Connect card, visit me at the Connect desk, and I'll give you your book, and then I'll begin working and praying with you through that process. So the first thing is this, is, is, to, is to honor and not ignore the principle of tithing. The, the second thing is just as convicting, and it's this. It's entertaining the process of coveting. Now, I don't know when the last time you heard a sermon over coveting is. Right? Some of y'all might even know what the word covet means. Right, covet, what, what does that mean? Here's what it means. It means to want something that doesn't belong to you. Okay, you say, coveting? That's a sin? I thought that was just called being an American. <laughs> and that's because we live in an entire society that is nothing more than to set you up to fail when it comes to this. 
everything from social media, marketing, advertising, from conversations at work, from driving down the road, billboards, advertising, everything in our life is set us up to entertain into the process of coveting. Because here's what happens. When you want someone else's life, that's the quickest way to ruin your own. Satan understands this. So if he can get you to give in to the process of coveting, then he's going to cause you to end up ruining your life as well. So let's just see how this works. The the sin of Achan goes like this. First, it's to ignore the principle of tithing. Then it is to entertain the process of coveting. God speaks and says, get up, consecrate, devote yourself to people and say, consecrate for yourself tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near to your tribes and the tribe that the Lord casts by lots shall come near by clans. They're trying to figure out Who is the culprit? And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by household, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near by man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, and he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua arose in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe and clan by clan, First the tribe of Judah was taken, and then the clans of Judah, and the clans of the Zerites was taken, and he was brought near the clan of the Zerites, man by man, Zabdi was taken, and he was brought near household until Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of this tribe of Judah was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, my son, give glory to God, the Lord of Israel, who has and give praise to him and tell me, now what have you done? Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, there, truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. And this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil the beautiful cloak from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver, a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took from them and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver that is underneath. So there's even more than what he originally confessed. He has because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Now, typically what we think is this. When it comes to coveting, we normally just think in terms of money or income or possessions. But what's interesting about coveting is it's the 10th commandment. Okay, thou shalt not covet. And then it talks about your neighbor's wife. It talks about his house. It talks about their, their possessions. It talks about their land. And, and here's what we re- recognize as we study the idea of coveting. It's this, is that out of all the Ten Commandments, coveting is the only one that has to deal with your thoughts. It's not just money and possessions. It's anything that is not yours. It actually deals with the mind. Everything else, it really just kind of deals with the hands. But, but coveting, it, it's something that starts in the mind. And here's the reason why. Okay, because if something consumes you, it controls you. I love what Craig Rochelle, he says, your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Right? Because if something consumes you, it, it controls you. It, it's about desire. Because what you desire, you eventually empower. Your desires, they determine your decisions. And if there is something that is consuming you, then here's what happens. Eventually, that thing is going to begin to control you. So if your thoughts are continually being consumed by other things, then guess what happens? Whatever that thing is, it's going to take authority over your life. So if your, your thought life is consumed with, with images of other people's beautiful vacations, then jealousy and envy is going to eventually begin to take root inside of your heart, and it's going to manifest itself in other areas of your life. Because what consumes you begins to control you. This is why things like pornography is so dangerous, 
Because as you're being, as you're consuming it, it's consuming you. And then eventually it controls you. And you're not just having fantasies. You're eventually going to become acting out those fantasies as well. This is why one in four women are being abused in our society because there's such a pornified culture because what is consuming the minds of men eventually is controlling them in these areas. But, but it's other things too. It's greed, it's lust, it's pride. It consumes you, therefore it controls you. If you're, if you're consumed by pride, you're gonna abuse other people. It's just what happens because, because your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Now, on the flip side, it's also true. What happens if you're consumed with love for God? Oh, that love for God's going to control you. That love of God's going to motivate you, inspire you. It's going to push you in the opposite direction. What happens when you're consumed with the idea of generosity? Well, then you're going to be just looking for people to give to. You're going to be looking for opportunities. You're going to go above and beyond that tithe because we see somebody on the side of the road. You're going to slip them $5. When you're talking to somebody in the lobby who maybe they lost their job, you're going to buy them groceries this week because you're not just regulated to tithing. Now you're consumed by this idea of generosity. I'm here to be a blessing to others. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So this is what happens. When these things consume you, when the things of God consume you, when you're consumed with reading the Bible, you're going to live out a biblical life. When you're consumed with loving your spouse, guess what happened? There's going to be love and respect in the home. When you're consumed with the things of the Lord, it's going to show itself in your life. But if you're consumed with the things of the world, guess what? It's going to ruin your life. This is Achan's sin. And let me show you how, the, how, how this works because it's, it's so tricky. If you don't pay attention, you'll miss this. Look, look what he says here. This is a three-step process to coveting. It says, when I saw among the spoil, Joshua's like, Achan, why did you do this? You just defeated Jericho. You wandered with me for 40 years in the wilderness. Be very careful saying you don't struggle with a temptation. When I meet people and they're like, yeah, that's not a problem. I'm like, it will be. Because, because what happens, if we, if we don't learn from Achan, here's what, we will become Achan. So don't judge him, judge yourself. How did this happen? Here's what he says. He said, I saw it. And then I saw, there's a robe from Shinar. I'd look really nice in that. Say, so go into like an Israelite party and they're like, that's a nice robe. We've been in the wilderness for 40 years. Where'd you get that robe? Shinar. I don't remember going there. Because sin makes you stupid sometimes. So, so he saw it, and then he, and then he, and then he said, I weighed the 200 shekels, and then I, 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 there's 50 more shekels, and then there's even more silver underneath. So he saw it, and then he wanted it. And then what happens? He, he took it. Three-step process to how sin works. First step is this. It, sin starts in the mind. He says he saw it. Now, does that mean that he's just walking by and go, oh, look, there's a robe from Shidar? No, here, here's what he did. He looked at it. There's a difference between seeing things and looking at them. And so, so, so he saw it, but he didn't take control of his thoughts. He didn't take what the Bible says, every thought captive. He saw it, but then all of a sudden he started thinking about it. What would it be like if I had that? 200 shekels, that's pretty good. That robe looks really nice. And then he started entertaining it in his mind. He saw it, but it started in his mind. And then what happens? It moves down to his heart. So now he's premeditating how to get away with it without getting caught. He weighed the, he counted 200 shekels. Have you ever tried to count pennies? It takes forever. It's not like there was like two rolls of 100 shekels a piece. It's not like there was a bag that said 200 shekels on it. 
No, he, he, he sat there in the tent after the victory, and he counted out one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, ooh, 200. How much does this gold weigh? Weighed it another 50. There's more silver over here. And then he saw it, and then he began to weigh his options. This is how adultery happens. This is how stealing happens. This is how gossip happens. This is how it all happens. You see something, and then all of a sudden you start harboring in your heart. How can I get away with it? How can I do this without getting caught? How can I keep this sin a secret in my life? And then eventually what happens, the sin starts in the mind, it moves to the heart, and then it ends with the hands. Whatever consumes you, controls you. Whatever you entertain, you empower in your life. This is why people don't just wake up and ruin their lives. It's a process. It's a process of compromise here, of a little getting away with something here, of, of, of sneaking over here. You're like, oh, I didn't get caught the first time, so let me do it again. And that happens long enough, and then eventually you think, well, nobody knows. Exactly. Nobody knows until everybody knows. And what is done in secret eventually will be brought into the light. You're not getting away with anything. You say, well, nobody sees me. God sees you. And God knows this, if it consumes you, it controls you. So what is consuming your thoughts? What is your deepest desires and your, your motivations and actions that, that drives you? Because your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And so if you don't like your life, then change the way you think. Because it's your thinking that makes you, that leads to your doing. It was entering into the process of coveting. He wanted something that wasn't his, that belonged to somebody else. And because you want something that's someone else's, that's a great way to ruin your life as well. Which leads to the, the, the third thing, is to reject the posture of repentance. So Achan gets caught. But here's what's fascinating, is though Achan was caught, he wasn't repentant. Here, here, here's what he says. Just, just look what happens. When I saw them, I took them. Yes, I have sinned against God. Here's why. But as we read this next section, he never throws himself at the mercy of God. So Joshua sent his messengers. They went to the tent. Behold, it was hidden the tent, the silver underneath, and they took them out of the tent, and they brought him to Joshua and said to the people of Israel, they laid him down before the Lord. Joshua said, all of Israel took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters, the oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had, and they brought him to the valley of Achar. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? No answer. The Lord brings trouble on you this day. And all of Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and the stones with the stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. And then what happens? The Lord turned from his burning anger. Remember the chapter started off. The anger of the Lord burns against them. They finally deal with the sin. Now God turns his anger. Therefore, this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achar. Listen, he never says he's sorry. He never throws himself at the mercy of God. All he does is he admits that he was wrong. He has what is called remorse, but he doesn't have what is known as repentance. Here's what repentance literally means. Metanoia, to change your thoughts, to change the way you think, to change your direction in life. And so Achan, he doesn't change his thinking, and because he doesn't take ownership of his sin, his sin eventually leads to his own death as well. 
This is why repentance is so incredibly important. Some of you have wondered, could Achan have been forgiven? I believe that he could have if he would have taken ownership and he would have made a change in his life. Because we see all throughout the Old Testament that God is faithful, God is forgiving, God is long-suffering, God is patient to a thousand generations. But God expects for us to make our own decisions and our own choices too. And Achan wasn't concerned that what he did was wrong. He was only upset the fact that he got caught. There's some people who they, they realize that they're doing wrong, that they be living wrong. They realize that, but they don't want to make a change. That's their choice. You have two choices in this life, that you could either have remorse or you can have repentance. You can live a life with regret or you can live a life of repentance. Remorse is when you feel bad. Repentance is when you change. Remorse is when you get caught. But repentance is when you change. Repentance literally is a change of direction. And if you change your direction, you'll change your life. So here's, the, here's the, the, the moral of the story behind the sin of Achan. If you're taking notes, write this down. So incredibly important that you either kill sin or sin kills you. The wages of sin is death. You say, but that's not fair. I get it. I understand. But God's not fair. God is just. The fact of grace a free gift that we receive that we can never earn. That is not fair. But we're grateful for grace, right? Because it is the justice of God made evident in our lives. God ain't fair. God is just. And while there's people out in the streets chanting and cheering, we want justice. We want justice. We want justice. Great. I want justice too. But let's make sure the person who has been violated more than anyone else gets his justice as well. Every sin committed, Achan sin, your sin, my sin, the billions of people from the beginning to the end, every sin the psalmist says ultimately is committed against God. God has been more offended than anybody else. God has been sinned against more than anybody else. God has been violated more than anybody else. God has been stolen from more than anybody else. So when we're out seeking and doling out justice, God's going to get his too. So here's how justice works. Punishment. And we have a choice because God sends his son Jesus. Why? To live the life we never could live, the life without sin, to die the death, the death that we all deserve, the death because of our sins. And those who put their trust in him, here's what happens. At the cross, all of God's justice is poured out on Jesus, which means you're now forgiven. And so what is the choice that is set before us? Here's the choice. Either you kill sin or sin kills you. Either you die for your sins or Jesus dies in your place for your sins. Either the anger of the Lord is poured out on you or the wrath of God is emptied upon Christ. So you have a choice. Do you think on judgment day you can fool the, the weight of the wrath of God? You don't have to. You don't have to endure it. You don't have to experience it. You don't have to walk through that. Here's what you can do. You can say, Jesus, take my place. Jesus, receive the anger of God for me so that way I may experience the blessings of God over my life. Because here's what Jesus comes to do. Three ways to ruin your life. Ignore the principle of the tithe. Entertain the process of coveting to reject the posture of repentance. But there is one way to change your life, and here's what it is. 
to believe in the promise of Jesus. I'm going to call the band forward as we close, and here's what the promise of Jesus says. In John 10, 10, Jesus comes and he says this. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But why does Jesus come? So that way we might have life and life abundantly. Jesus' promise for us is that we would have life. Everything that you've been looking for that gives you life is from the thief that steals and kills and destroys. But Jesus comes to give you life and life abundantly. Do you want to have life? It's found in Jesus. Do you want to have, do you want to have fullness of faith? It's found in Jesus. Do you want to have security? It's found in Jesus. Do you want to have comfort and joy? It's found in Jesus. Do you want to have mercy? Do you want to have grace? Do you want to find redemption over your life? Reconcile relationships? Do you want to have meaning and purpose? Do you want to leave a legacy? It's found in the life that Jesus promises for us. Everything else will disappoint you. Everything else will let you down. Everything else will lead to defeat. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life. So instead of ruining your life, here's what you should do. Come to Jesus and let him change your life. Because here's what we know, is that our decisions determine our destiny. And our choices that we think we choose in the end end up making us. God says to Joshua before the promised land, I have called heaven and earth as witness against you. You can have curses or you can have blessings. You can have life or you can have death. Therefore, please, I beg of you, I plead of you, Choose life. Because we make our choices. But in the end, our choices make us.